Hey guys, welcome, uh, ladies and gentlemen are, uh, that are watching on our YouTube channel or listening to the podcast channel. Uh, welcome in to the Rick and Bubba Broadcast Plaza. Uh, we are doing uh, the normal Wednesday Bible study. We're here every week. You can watch it live on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel at noon Central Time. Uh, soon after that, uh, Adler has it archived for you on this YouTube channel. Uh, and also, it goes out to our podcast channel, and there's links at all the Rick and Bubba social media platforms, including if you follow me individually. Now, remember, you can always go back uh, and listen to past studies. Uh, we will actually be celebrating uh, when we come back to this place uh, after Man Church this Sunday night. It will be our, uh, we have completed four years of Bible studies uh, in, uh, in, in this room. So uh, that'll be our four-year anniversary. And we started recording these things most of uh, uh, the four years. We don't have all of them, but if you go back, you can find those at Burgess Ministries by clicking on Listen. So uh, that, that'll keep you updated, and if you ever want to go back and listen to those or listen to other series, you can. Here's what we're going to do in the room today. Uh, for those of you that uh, are in the Birmingham area, some of you may be even members of my home church, Shades Mountain Baptist Church. Man Church is coming up Sunday night. What is Man Church? Uh, this is a uh, men's ministry strategy that we put together four years ago. Uh, you'll you'll see a nationwide uh, uh, implementation of this going on. I've got some very exciting news coming up uh, by the first of next year, uh, and we're going to have a, a new hub where you can implement this Man Church format uh, all over the country. A lot of uh, churches are doing that. Anyway, uh, just on the based on the basic stuff that we provide. So every quarter, uh, just the men of our church have a men's service. It's not an event; it's a service where they get a challenge, and then we go into the next round of Bible studies. We uh, find out the needs of the church body. You know, what are the needs that need men to go uh, do various jobs or to go on mission trips or offer things for men to to get involved with? And we do that four times a year, uh, and uh, so that's uh, that's what that's about Sunday night, uh, Greg. Powers will be speaking. He's a, a professional golfer. And then on Monday, we'll actually do the Challenge Golf Tournament uh, where there'll be men that will get to play at uh, a golf course here in our, our city uh, free. They'll actually have a two-man scramble. Uh, Greg Powers will give his testimony. We'll have a lunch, and then we'll have a dinner that night. And we'll also have a gospel presentation uh, as uh, now all the men that have been in this Bible study in our church have had a chance to go out and bring unchurched men uh, to this golf tournament and let them play this course for free uh, and be their caddy for the day and take care of them. And then hopefully we'll have men that will give their life to Christ uh, when that is all said and done. So be in prayer about that coming up a week from uh, this past Monday, the 26th. Man Church, 6 o'clock at Shades Mountain Baptist Church on Sunday night. Uh, if you're in our area, there's no ticket required or anything. You're welcome to come and join us. So what's going to happen in here is we're going to finish today The Pursuit of Holiness uh, by Jerry Bridges. So that'll complete what has been, I believe, one of the more powerful uh, studies that we've done. We'll complete this, and by request, we'll go back to a book of the Bible. Now, I will tell you that we're going to take on the Gospel of John starting a week from today. Uh, the Gospel of John is extremely uh, in-depth, and it is a very long uh, book of the Bible. So it is likely, looking at all the meat that is there, it is likely that we will stay in the Gospel of John for at least a year. Uh, it, may, it may even be longer than that. So uh, we're just going to walk through it at the pace that... Uh, that 
that feels right because there's so much for us to glean uh, in the Gospel of John is, of course, uh, all the Gospels have their, uh, their role that they play, but the Gospel of John, uh, to oversimplify it, but I'll have you a much better presentation Wednesday, is this is the introduction, here's Jesus. Uh, here's Jesus. And, you know, you hear talk about all the time when you're talking about your, you know, sanctification process or growing in the faith, or maybe you're someone who hasn't made a decision yet. I think it's good for all of us to go back and just have uh, John inspired by the Holy Spirit say, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the Lamb of God. Uh, and so we'll learn everything we could possibly ever want to know about Jesus. So that, uh, and so we'll spend a year uh, or some change uh, learning everything we need to know and maybe some things we forgot, or maybe we'll see things in a way we never did on the, the uh, Jesus and what he accomplished as the greatest hero uh, that the world has ever known. But we have to get to what we have at hand today, and that is finishing the pursuit of holiness. So let's pray and let's jump right in. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for all the things we are watching. Thank you for this movement, Lord, right now, that this, uh, uh, this be a, a revival that takes place uh, in the hearts of men. Because it, it never fails, Lord. Just when something looks like, from a worldly standpoint, that it is at its worst, that's when you are always at your best. And, uh, and Lord, uh, I know that uh, there's been a huge falling away. Uh, of men and their responsibilities, men in the church, men following you, and complete confusion uh, on the answer to the question, how are we supposed to be a man? What does being a man even mean? And Lord, I pray that uh, uh, this revival that I can sense that is coming, that all of us will find our role to be right in the middle of it. Uh, and may we never be the same. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So the question that we've asked a lot is, especially with the men in the men's Bible study, uh, to oversimplify what is true manhood. If you want to know how to be a man, what? Be a follower of Jesus. That's it. Uh, you know, real men follow Jesus. And so one of the things we talked about is because of that, what, what Jerry Bridges has had the audacity to take on is, is the fact that there should be a radical change that takes place with anyone, anyone who's encountered Jesus, anyone who's truly received the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, if you haven't been changed, we've said this how many times, but it's a good review. It is not because of the inability of the Holy Spirit to change you. The, the Holy Spirit is not wringing its hands saying, we just, we just don't have the power. We just can't do it. So if, if you're not changed by Jesus, it's not Jesus. It's not the Holy Spirit. And it's not the Father. It's because of you uh, or it's because of me. Something's wrong. You have not accessed the power that has been made available to all who've been redeemed. So that's kind of the nutshell of what's going on in this study. And we've taken these things on. And, and, and last week we talked about, okay, so we are saved by grace through faith. It is grace that saves us. There's no question about that. But, but, but how we truly show that we believe and that we receive the power of the grace is that our faith is a faith that's a faith of action. And we gave all those examples last week that if you want to know if someone truly has faith or not, then what? It's what they do. We knew that Noah had faith in God's promise that he was coming to destroy the earth and he knew that the rain was coming. How do we know he believed it? He built the ark. And then we laid down last week are, are we building the ark? Because if Noah was told by God that the earth was going to be destroyed, so you build this ark and then everybody that gets on the ark will be saved, we've been told, what, a second time, I'm going to destroy the earth again. And I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And everybody who, who, who ends up under the redemption of Jesus Christ, the new ark, will be saved. And those who are outside of the redemption provided by Jesus Christ will be destroyed. 
And so really, if we claim we believe that, then our faith that we claim to have would be proven, for lack of a better term, if we're building the ark. Are, are we pushing people to Jesus? Which means we believe that this destruction is coming, or we believe if they die without redemption, they will be destroyed. They will, they will not be in the presence of the Lord. If we believe that what God said about that is true, then our life should reflect that. Amen. So that was kind of last week's message in a nutshell. So today we're going to end up the last two chapters, and I am going to put them all together, and I think I can. They're pretty short. Uh, and we'll start with holiness in an unholy world. And if you have your Bible or, or something with your Bible on it, you'll, you'll see that our, one of our verses today is going to be John 17, 15. There's the Gospel of John. John 17, 15, as we prepare for our next Bible study almost. So remember this when we finally get to chapter 17. Uh, John, John 17, 15, this is what uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, said about those of us who would follow Him. He says, um, I do not ask that you... Uh, talking to his father. This is the high priestly prayer. So this is Jesus praying for us. Is that cool? Praying for us, the church, as he sends us out to his father. And he says to his father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So here's what Jesus knew. All believers must live their lives in the context of an unholy world. Yes. So it is impossible for anybody to claim the redemption of Jesus Christ and then say, all right, I've been redeemed, now keep me out of this unholy world. You can't help it. The, the creation is falling, so when you say, I now am a follower of Jesus, you will live out that faith in the middle of an unholy world. And then what are we called to do? We're called, to, one of two things happens. I say this to every one of my children. And if I were given an update, I, I, all four of them are at a different place in this journey. I said, when you go out into the world, one of two things will happen. Your faith will influence the world or the world will influence your faith. Amen. It's impossible. One of the two is going to happen. And you've got, you got to ask the question, where are you in your relationship with Christ that what should happen happens? And that is your light, your salt or what's going to happen, what should not happen, your faith is tested and it turned out to be nothing. The world influenced you more than you influenced the world. Because you're going into the world. Yes. Now, 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 you don't have to be of the world. That's, where, that's the question that's about to be answered. But you're going into it. There's no way around it. If you send a kid to college, I just sent two back. They're going off to an unholy place. If you decide to go into the military, now more than ever, you are going into an unholy place. I got a friend of mine right now. He's a brand new friend that I'm getting to know. He just left the Marines. He is a follower of Jesus. He said, I was, I was in charge of about a thousand Marines. I said, how many do you think are followers of Jesus? He said, maybe 1%. 99% of them, he said, are either pagans. They get into these warrior gods and die a warrior's death and all this stuff. He said, are they just completely agnostic or atheist? He said, I, I, I was by far the minority in the Marines. And so if they go into the military, they're going into an unholy place. If you go into any job, and I love somebody say, well, what if we decide that our vocation will actually be ministry? Well, your vocation already is ministry. Okay, because wherever God sent you, that is your ministry. That's part of it. And that's where you ended up. But I guess what you're saying, if I go to work for a church or a ministry, 
you're still in an unholy place. Because I got news for you. Most of the people you go to church with are lost. And, you, and you'll see, you, and, and, and I, some of the most jaded people I know are in vocational ministry. Because they've seen the worst side of the church. They've seen the worst side of people who claim to be followers of Jesus. So there's no escaping it. Uh, how about this? Athletics. If your kid's an athlete or you're an athlete or whatever, we've all, any of you have ever done this? That's an unholy place. I don't care how many Bible stories the coach tells, you're in an unholy place. I remember sitting there across from a, 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 a minister who had worked and worked and worked and worked with this football team. And, and what it looked like, and I got a chance to go speak one time, we saw huge response to Jesus, we thought. They even had a very good year. And then people who were weeping and crying one night after a message went and committed armed robbery as soon as the season was over. And I remember, and that chaplain was just sitting there weeping. He goes, how does this happen? He's, he, it's an unholy place. It's, it's, it's an unholy place. If you decide to do this right here, what I'm doing, I'm pointing to the console for those of you that are, list, that are, that are watching and listening. If you decide, and I've got, I've got my kids all seem to have a desire for this in one, one way, shape, or form. If you're going to go into secular entertainment, you're going to a very unholy place. A very unholy place. Now, all of this is, is, are not bad in and of themselves. All of them were created by God himself, and all of them are here to glorify him. But what's happened is most of these places that I just mentioned have given themselves over to the world. So I don't care who you are or where you're going as a follower of Jesus, you're going to an unholy place. And so what we have to decide is that we, we, we will influence, we'll be what we're called to be. We won't allow this to influence us. James, we love James, don't we? James, one of our, our, our favorite pastors in the entire Bible, James, who at one time was part of Jesus' earthly brothers and sisters and mother who were telling him to, to stop saying all this crazy stuff, but now he has become one of the most powerful ministers of the gospel and declares that his once earthly brother is now his Lord, and he's a servant of Jesus Christ. Uh, somebody say amen to that. And so now in, in, in 127, here's what James says to us, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and and widows and their affliction to keep oneself unstained from the world. He said, if, if you're truly part of this church, then there's certain things we should see happening. And one thing that we should see is that your faith is pure. It's undefiled before God and it, and you keep yourself unstained from the unholy world. And, and, and Paul writes about this as well. Uh, Paul says that uh, in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, write that down, 2 Corinthians 6, 17, and here's what he's basically saying to the church at Corinth where there was sin that was rapid. And he says this, come out from them and be separate. Now, he's even talking about things that were going on in the church if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And he's saying, this is not, this, the church is looking too much like the world. Y'all need to pull yourself out of this and y'all need to be separate. Now, does that mean we have nothing to do with the world? No, no, no. He just says, you can't be part of it. Yes. You know, there's nothing in our faith that calls us to go lock ourselves in a room and just hope we never encounter anything unholy. He says, no, you're going to be in an unholy place. I'm just telling you, you can't take this lightly. You, you, you can't become them. And here's what we see all the time. What? We see 
that too many times, we talked about this in the chapter, that the church itself has found itself wanting to be liked by the world more than they want to evangelize the world. That, that's not the call of the church. The call of the church has a pull to it because of how wonderful Jesus is. We don't take Jesus and try to make him more palatable to the world. We tell the world, this is Jesus, God in his fullness, and you should be drawn to this. Amen. Not, Jesus is a tough sell, let's make him more palatable. And that's why we end up right now having to fix men's ministry, because we tried to sell to men, Jesus is a hippie. And most men said, I don't really want to follow a hippie. But see, if we present who he really is, that he's been given all authority over heaven and earth, and that he's going to judge the righteous, and he's going to judge the unrighteous, and that all authority has been given to him, and that he is God in his fullness, and he, 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 was, the, he was in the beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And how about this? If he didn't, if he didn't take on human flesh so we could actually experience him, that his very presence would kill us where we stood. And he said that most of y'all aren't man enough to follow me. Now, see, if, if we had sold that, you know, about who Jesus really is and what he said about himself, you would have a lot more engaged men. And I got news for you. That's what we're going to do. And the churches who want to come along can come along. And the ones who don't want to, you'll answer to that before Almighty God. But we're going to put together a system that is biblically sound that is going to draw men to Jesus because we're going to present Jesus for who he is, not who you preferred he'd be. Amen. Okay? It's time for us to stop trying to make Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, something we're more comfortable with, and we better get on our face and repent and cry out that he make us something he's more comfortable with. Amen. That's what, that's what it is. We got this wrong. When did we stop being concerned and fearing God or what he thinks about it? I mean, I see things out there I can't believe by people that claim they're members of the church. And you know what they've done? Because of some kind of pressure, they've bent to the world and they have no concern about God. But they will. I mean, how many times has he said, I'm not going to be mocked? And he's very serious about that. Amen. So it's clear from the Lord's prayer. Remember, think about Jesus when he's praying this high priestly prayer. That he does not intend for us to withdraw from contact with the world of non-Christians. That's what we just read in John 17, 15. Instead, he said we're to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And that's in Matthew 5, 13 and 14, which we've covered before. But if you want to jot that down again. The writers of the New Testament take it for granted, I love this, that Christians will live in the midst of an unholy world. If you want to see that too, write these passages down too. Meaning, this is always talked about. You know, these things that we get surprised by, it's not because God didn't cover it. We never found it. He's covered everything. It's just like if I hear another time somebody say, sometimes we don't know why. You know what that is? That's lazy. That's lazy. Now, you can say, I can't fully comprehend God in my finite mind. You can certainly say that. But I'm telling you, a lot of times we act like we don't understand something or God's been silent on something just because we don't know it. And then you find out, my wife's book's a great example of that. God's never been silent on pain and suffering. He's never been silent on why bad things happen in an unholy world. He's never been silent about where he is in the middle of all of it. I love when my wife said this, people cry out, where was God when this tragedy happened? She said, I'll tell you where he was. He's right in the middle of it. Amen. Right. right in the middle of it. And he was never silent about it. 
And so, so the writers say, look, that's a given. Look, here's some verses to write down again. 1 Corinthians 5, I just talked about this, 9 and 10. Philippians 2, 14, 15. 1 Peter 2, 12. Uh, and also chapter 3 of 1 Peter 15 and 16. Did I give you time to write those down? You good? You okay? You need more? Did I give the list? Okay. And, and we're never told that it will be easy to live in a godless environment. Instead, we are warned. Think about that. Don't you always appreciate, and I try to be this kind of person. Hey, let me let you know what you're getting into. It's one thing I always loved about my daddy as a leader. My daddy always, anytime he was a leader, you know, he'd say, I'm gonna, today I'm going to tell you exactly what you're getting into. And then, when it happens, don't look surprised. This is what you're getting into today. And if you don't want to be here, then you can leave. But you can't say you didn't know. And of course, he would add, then you can go sit in the stands and tell everybody how wonderful a player you would have been if I hadn't treated you so poorly. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, but anyway, so <laughs> he loved excuse makers. That was his favorite. But anyway, so, um, so, so instead, we are warned that we should expect to be ridiculed and we should expect to be abused. Yes. Think about Paul writing to young Timothy. All who choose to live a godly life will be persecuted. Yes. Not some. So if you're not being persecuted and, and your faith hadn't cost you anything, it's because you're probably not where you need to be. That's what I say. If I look around, I'm like, man, I, there's not much going on. People seem to be really okay with me. People that shouldn't be, it's probably because I've become more like them. Uh, so write down this, and I gave you the Second Timothy one, but John 15, 19, write that down. These are all Jesus telling you exactly what to expect. I just mentioned this one, 2 Timothy 3, 12, and then 1 Peter 4, Three and four. And I love this. Instead of withdrawing from contact with the world, we should strive not to withdraw from it, but to resist its influence. Amen. Say that again. We are not called to withdraw from contact with the world. We are called to strive through the power of Jesus Christ to resist its influence. I love that. So, how should a believer respond when he finds himself surrounded and, and, and by an unrelenting pressure of a sinful world? So how, how should we respond? Well, the convictions that we develop about God's will must be rock-ribbed enough to withstand the ridicule of the ungodly and the pressures that they put on us to conform to their unholy ways. And I love this one. So, so, so give us some practical stuff, Rick. We got it. Jerry gave us some practical stuff. But let me, I don't want to move past that. The number one thing before we go anywhere is your face got to, has got to be rock-ribbed. It's got to be solid. You've got to know what you believe. Amen. you got to know what you believe. You know, when we did the How to Be a Man uh, 40-day thing, and we're going to do a whole... Uh, Oh, I'm just so excited about what's coming in 2020. We're going to do an entire in-depth look at these eight characteristics again and walk through those instead of week by week cramming all five of each day into one study. We're going to take every day and make that its own study so we can really unpack these things. And, uh, but, but the first one, what is identity? You've got to know who you are. Yes. And first of all, is your identity found in Christ? And so what, what, what Jerry says, which I think is great, is you first of all have, have to have the kind of faith that can withstand the pressure that's ahead. But one of the ways to, that can help you as a follower of Christ, obviously, is you must go ahead and identify yourself as that publicly. Hey, guys, you've taken out a lot of the problems if people know where you stand. 
Some of you have experienced that, right? I used to get myself in a lot of bad situations because nobody knew where I stood. But I noticed, I promise you, I hope, that, that, that in, in the, the 24 years that I've been a follower of Jesus, I hope that I finally have gotten to the point where there's at least something that somebody would say, Burgess wouldn't be into that. Hey, it, don't, don't invite him to that. Because you don't want to hear, we're going to get a speech on that. Do not do that. Hey, if we're all going to do this, don't bring him. And see, then I never ended up in that situation because everybody knew not to bring me into it. Because you already identify yourself. That's why Jesus said, look, and I love this. It's like what we said last week, and I had somebody follow up and send me a text on this. And, I, and it, really was a, it was really an epiphany for me, too, when we did Cain and Abel's different sacrifice. And see, people think the way God acted to Cain's sacrifice was unreasonable, like that shows an unreasonable God. And what did we say was God showed us last Wednesday? No, that shows an unbelieving Cain. That didn't show an unreasonable God. So what Jesus is saying is the reason why I'll never profess people in front of my father who don't profess me in front of man, it's not a legalistic rule. He knows that if you and I won't profess him in front of people, we don't really know him. He'll never have to profess us before his father because we're not with him. Remember what he says in Matthew 7? All kinds of people throw my name around and claim to be part of all kinds of things that they claim I'm part of. I don't even know them. The ones I know are what? The ones who do the will of my father. That's back to that faith is action. Faith and obedience go together. What did, what did, what did uh, Thessala, uh, the, the letter to Thessalonica tell us was one of the things that was the will of the father? Our sanctification. So, so he says, look, those, those that are not living it, I never am going to have to worry about professing them from the Father because we're not together. And so, first of all, you want to identify yourself as a follower of Jesus. You don't, not, not to be a sanctimonious jerk or be self-righteous. Just, hey, man, this is who I am. I don't know why we're so afraid to say that, but we can't wait to tell them that we're a fan of this or this is our hobbies or this is what I like. or you know, we're, We can't shut up about that. What's so difficult about telling people well, the most important thing to me, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's, that's who I am. It was one of the things I had somebody come after me in the last couple of months. And it was very, very harsh. It was very, very nasty, which I celebrated. Um, it, was, it was awful. It was, I mean, it's, it's one of those things you don't utter again. It was so, so evil. And so the person, when I came back, said, well, the reason why I said that is it's obvious that you hate homosexuals. It's obvious you do. And I said, no, no, what you're, you're misinterpreting that. I don't hate a homosexual. I don't hate a fornicator. I don't hate an adulterer. I just love God. That's not me showing hate toward people. That's me showing devotion to God. And, and I said, you know, and so I said, here's what I don't get. What I hear from people like you all the time is what? You want to be allowed to be you. Why am I not allowed to be me? When did, I, when did that rule not apply to me? And so you can't say because what you believe uh, goes against what we want to do, we'll see what you believe goes against who I serve. So that can't be the rule, right? So if the rule really is we all should be able to live out the maximum us, then I'm, I'm going to be a maximum follower of Jesus. Why am I not allowed to do that? I'm not coming after you. I'm not trying to harm you. But what, what you're doing, I find 
blasphemous toward the holy God that I serve, and I'm more concerned about being on the bad side of him than I am about being on the bad side of you. But I don't mean you any harm. I just fear him. If it was up to me, you could do whatever you want to do. But I'm not allowed to have that attitude because I claim that I serve him. And he said this is who he is. And that if I loved him, I'd obey what he said. That I would celebrate his standard. I wouldn't celebrate blasphemy. And then and, and they never emailed back again. You know, if, if you believe everybody should be allowed to be who they are, then good. I'll be who I am. And, and, and that's the attitude that we need to have. We're followers of Jesus. Identify that. You must know the Word of God. I mean, look, just underline that. Hey, I know. And, and, and I, it's happening. I just met with a guy who's been in our Bible study for a while. And due to work now, he can't be here as much, but he's still listening every week. And it was just a celebration a lunch because you know what's happened? He said, it's happened. I finally desire to know more about Jesus. I can't get enough of it. And that was always his big struggle. You know what he was like? Like I was. I just don't know I can read the Bible. I just have a hard time with that. You know, I'm, I'm, he, he's a type A. He's super successful, always going. You know, he's got that attitude that a lot of us have. When I think I see where I'm going, that accelerator comes down. And well, what's happened now? He's, he's still the same guy he always was as far as the way God made him. But now he's on the accelerator, what? Pursuing Jesus. Yeah. It was kind of like what I heard about a guy who, who goes out and witnesses to Muslims. And he's got like a big scar down the side of his face because you know, he's, there's been attempts to kill him several times. And you know what I love about him? He goes, but here's the beautiful thing about Muslims. If you can survive, <laughs> if you can survive them, their conversion, they're fantastic followers of Jesus. Now you have to survive the conversion. But if you survive it, there's that same resolute attitude, but now it's all going the right way. Amen. And they'll die for Jesus. You know what I mean? So, so that's, 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 the, that's the point. You were made a certain way. But what you've done is you've let, you've let the fallen world corrupt the way God made you. But you need to have it redeemed. And now all these talents and all that personality he's given you, that's who you are. Now it's focused on him. I mean, I, hey, I was just as intense about my sin as I am about Jesus now. The intensity hasn't changed. It's just now going the right way. And, and so, so he talks about salt and light. So you got to know the Word of God. How can anybody go out and defend something you don't know? Right? And then if you want to know what to expect, you also got to read the Word, right? So what is salt and light that we're called to be? Well, salt, what, it, it combats deterioration. It's just like Christians. By, by showing ourselves to be Christians, uh, we are constantly uh, you know, trying to go out and combat the moral and spiritual decay in this world. I tell people all the time, you can get on the church all you want to. You can mock. You can make fun of it. Do whatever. Talk about how bad things are. Let me tell you something. Based on Scripture, because of the church, if you think it's bad now, you ain't seen nothing yet. Amen. Wait till the church is removed from this place. Because the church is, is combating the moral decay and the spiritual decay. And, 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 and it's the only thing that's holding this thing together because of the fact that it hasn't completely collapsed on itself yet. Uh, light. What is light? We're to, we're to be the bearers of what? The good news of salvation. Jesus himself said what? I am, I am true light. Uh, as it was said, I love this. Whoo! As was said to, about John the Baptist, one of my heroes of the Bible. What did it, what did it say? About, what, what did Jesus say about, about about John the Baptist? He was a witness to testify concerning that light. Mm. 
And boy, he did the job, didn't he? Amen. Behold the Lamb of God that has come to take away the sins of the world. Hey, stop following me. You go follow him. I must become less where he'll become more. If you want to find that, look in John again, the Gospel of John, verse 7 through 9. And so if, if I love this. If, this, this, this may be one of Jerry's best statements in this book, and it convicted me to my core. Are you ready for this? Jerry, this is good. If you are truly concerned about another person's eternity, it isn't likely you'll be corrupted by them. Oh, man. You know, we always say, well, if I get around them. No, no. If you get to the point where that person's eternity becomes your main concern, they'll never corrupt you. Because that's your focus now. And, and that way you won't be influenced by them. You'll just continue to, to, to minister to them as, as we were told to do. Um, also in verse 147, I mean, I'm sorry, not verse, page 147 and 148, we have to be wise about the things that we do and the positions that we put ourselves in. And um, so, you know, don't, don't put yourself into bad situations, you know, unnecessarily. Sometimes you do have to say, there are certain things that I did in my old life I just can't do anymore. Yes. They're over because I know I won't do well in those situations. I, I don't get legalistic about, you know, the consumption of beer. You know, we can have a whole nother thing about alcohol and, and you know, what is, we do know that drunkenness is sin. That's, that's not even up for debate. But, but the, one of the reasons why is because I know that I don't need to ever hold a beer in my hand again because Jesus delivered me from all the sin that that caused in my life. I can, t I can take my abuse of alcohol and trace it back to the overwhelming majority of the regrets in my life. So, when, when, you know, and I think about John the Baptist. You know, we do know that, that, that it was said of God, don't let any alcohol touch his lips. And you say, well, well, why was that? Well, I don't know, but I do know what he was saying is I'm taking this man and I'm setting him apart. And I know that we have been called to what? To be the, the, the voice crying in the wilderness for what? The second return of Jesus. And so I, what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if somebody sees me with a beer, they're going to immediately think, oh, he's back at it again. That's right. I said, oh, Rick's back. Oh, thank goodness. Maybe, maybe we won't have to hear about this anymore. <laughs> I mean, is that, am I some martyr because I can't drink a cold beer anymore? Oh, man, Jesus, I just don't know about that. That's just too much to give up. So we got to be wise about the situations that we put ourselves into. And of course, one of the things he talked about was, you know, if we live our own holy life, I like this before, a lot of just the way we live. Now, that's not all we do, but a lot of it is solved by the way we live. And it says, he says it serves as a sufficient rebuke. Back to what I said about don't ask him to come to this because we already know where he stands. He said, but see, but it will open up the door. And be wise about getting the opportunity, earning the right to talk to the person about who Christ is. But one of the ways they'll see is that we don't live in, in the same way they do with the despair that they have. And I thought this was a great line for, about Henry Clay Trumbull. Did y'all read this? It said he was a great evangelist. One day he found himself seated on a train next to a young man who was drinking quite heavily. Each time the young man opened his bottle, he offered a drink to Mr. Trumbull, who declined with thanks. Finally, the young man said to Mr. Trumbull, you must think I'm a pretty rough fellow. Mr. Trumbull's gracious supply was, I think you're a very generous hearted fellow uh, because you keep offering me what you have. 
And he said that opened the way for an earnest conversation with the young man about his need to commit himself to Christ. Mm. He didn't sit down and start saying, well, you, need, you don't need to be drinking that. You're a drunk. What an embarrassment. You know, I, I don't let that touch my lips. What he did is just sat down and got in a conversation with him. And he said, I guess you think I'm pretty awful. And he says, no, nah, you seem pretty gracious. You've got this drink and you keep offering it to me. You must be pretty nice. You know what I mean? And so, so that opened the door. Uh, but remember, we have to always think about what Jesus said. You know, even when he went and tried to draw Matthew out and everybody was mad about the tax collector and all this. And remember this, Jesus answered them when he said, this is why that I'm, I'm ministering to these people. He said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Amen. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It is the sick. He said, I haven't come here to call the righteous, but I'm calling sinners to repentance. Now, let's not forget that. Look at Luke 5, 30 and 32. Write that down. He did say, I'm calling sinners to repentance. Now, see, that's often missed. Just like go and sin no more is often missed. Jesus said, I have come to minister to the sinner, but I have come to call the sinner to what? To stay where he is or where she is? I've come to call them to repentance. We can't forget that. I, I, I know a lot of people that at some point, if when we've earned the right to share and we've earned the right to be heard, you got to say something. And I know a lot of people that, you know, have been sometimes sadly missionaries that every time I get you get a report back, they're still trying to win over, you know, the people of the community. And I'm like, you've been there how many years now? At what point are we going to have a gospel conversation? I mean, did, did you just want to go live in, in, a, in kind of a, a unique place and, and make a commitment to, to, to poverty and give up all materialism? That's great. But if these people don't hear about Jesus at some point, you've just made them more comfortable as they go to hell. They th thanks for the good, clean water. That's great. But until they get the living water, this clean water doesn't mean anything. Amen. Now, you want to do the things, but at some point, just like Jesus, you got to call the sinners to repentance, just like we had to be called to repentance, right? We, did, we couldn't stay the way we were. So uh, it says, but I love this. He says, above all, we must look to Jesus, who though he ate with tax collectors and sinners, was himself holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That's Hebrews 7, 26. Write that down, Hebrews 7, 26. We must claim his promise that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. The most misquoted, one of the most misquoted verses, probably Philippians 4, 13, the most misquoted. But I I will tell you right up there in the top five is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Write that down. This is not a verse about God will never give you more than you can handle. Will people please stop preaching it that way or telling people that? That is not what Paul is talking about. He's actually saying something that's a lot more convicting. There's no temptation that is so strong that Jesus has given you no ability to withstand it. Amen. He's saying God always gives you an out. You can never say this temptation was so strong that God couldn't pull me out of it. That's right. If God never gives us more than we can handle, why do we need God? I can look into my life. I see several things that were more than I can handle, which made me lean on God. Yes. 
That's the whole thing about refinement and suffering is it makes it breaks us down and it makes us humble and it makes us realize I'm totally dependent on God. It's when I'm not dependent on God and I depend on my own strength that I get in trouble. So so stop this bad theology of God never gives us more than than we can handle. He does it all the time. What he doesn't do is say, you, I, I lack so much power that the sin you got into today was so powerful, I couldn't deliver you from it. No, we just got to a point that on this particular situation that we love this sin more than we love God. Our out was there. I think of all the things in my life, every time I got into a bad situation, there was always an out that I ignored. You know why? I just did what I wanted to do. I didn't love God enough not to do it. I didn't love Jesus enough to obey him. I didn't respond to the Holy Spirit. I told the Holy Spirit to leave me alone. Or I didn't have the Holy Spirit, so I wasn't under conviction. Now, finishing with joy. Let's finish with joy. Chapter 17, the joy of holiness. I love this. we got to get this part right. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy. And here it is, in the Holy Spirit. Write down Romans 14, 17. Let me say that again. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. See, this is, this is that misnomer that we always have. Now, there's going to be a feast, or we're going to have all this. This is where we start trying to say that somehow we're going to be disappointed in heaven if heaven isn't a lot like the earth. Hey guys, prepare for this. There may not be any football in heaven. (laughs) You may not get to shoot a 150 class deer in heaven. You may not catch a 12 pound bass in heaven. I hear people do these visions. You may, I don't know. But I don't think so because these are all things of the world that we tried to find. And there's nothing wrong as long as you're not sinful about it, enjoying these things. What What did John see in Revelation 21? He said that he saw a new heaven and a new earth and a new city and that the one sitting at the right hand of the Father said, Behold, I make all things new. Can I tell you what my theory, and and that's all it is, but it it is what it's saying. I don't think we've seen what we're going to see. Because he said this is a new thing. Say the word new again. That means we don't know it. It's not, he didn't say, hey, look, I made the things that y'all like. I've kind of made them a little better. He said, I'm making something new. When the disciples asked Jesus about where he was going, he said, I can't, the words I would have to use, you wouldn't understand. Well, if I don't understand them, that means I had never seen it. Let me give you a heads up. It's better than this. Amen. It's better than this. It's better than this. It is better This is not heaven. And heaven's probably not going to look anything like this. Behold, I make a new heaven. And I make, I mean, that means that everything we see in the heavens isn't going to be new. Everything we see on earth is going to be new. Everything we know about Jerusalem is going to be new. And he will be so much of a light that we won't need anything but him. And so he says, what is joy? What does Paul say? It's not about eating and drinking. It's not about partying, even though we enjoy these things on earth if we keep them in moderation. But he says, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy in the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? 
it says, and I love this, only those who walk in holiness experience true joy. Guys, obeying Jesus is joyful. Being sanctified is joyful. I have more joy at this point of my life, and it's growing not because everything is going well for me. I still got all kinds of problems. I still hear bad, I just heard bad news a minute ago. Okay? Because I'm in a fallen place where people get sick and people die and people disappoint you and things don't go the way you want them to go and sometimes your body hurts and sometimes you, things aren't right. But you know what brings me joy? It's the Holy Spirit. It's God's presence in my life. And those who have finally say, said that I'm going to be under your authority, those are the only people who ever experience true joy. Now, there's lost people that experience moments of happiness because they're getting to do something they, that they found pleasurable for a short period of time. But we can't base our whole life on the world's version of happiness. It's got to be based on joy, hope, and peace. And those things are only found by those who are being sanctified and who have been redeemed. Jesus said, if you obey my commandments, look at this in, in uh, John 15. We're getting all of John done today, aren't we? John 15, if you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and have remained in his love. I've told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Somebody say amen. That's John 15. 10 and 11. Write that one down. So Y'all need to hang on to this. Let's all spend some time on that one this week. And we'll spend some time on it in our next Bible study. So here's Jesus linking obedience and joy in a cause and effect manner. That is joy results from obedience. Only those who are obedient, who are pursuing holiness as a way of life will know the joy that comes from God. Hello. So he says, look, guys, I'm telling you to obey me so that you can become part of me. And when you become part of me, you're going to receive my joy. And I'm going to actually take joy and complete it because it's only completed in total devotion to me. I am joy. Amen. And if you're on the outside of me, you're never going to experience true joy because you're banging against me. And that keeps leading to what? Destruction, disappointment. Why, guys? Why, 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 why? How many more people have to have everything the world says you're supposed to have and stick a gun in their mouth? How many more people have got to do this before you realize it must not be that? Amen. And look, there's nothing wrong with wealth. As long as it's all under the... You know, God's made people wealthy throughout the Bible, and some people He does, some people He doesn't. That's not it. But there's wealthy people that are at perfect peace and there's poor people that are perfect peace and there's middle class people that are perfect peace and there's wealthy people that are miserable, there's middle class people that are miserable and there's poor people who are miserable. Amen. And the difference in the two is whether they're under the authority of Christ or not. That's, right. Amen. That's it. If you're chasing the world for joy, hope and peace, you're, you know what you're saying? You might as well announce to the world, I want to be frustrated. I think I'm pursuing frustration. I don't want any part of frustration. Okay? That, that's that, well, you know, well, I, hey, man, I can't wait to do that. I remember, I remember the first time that I was like, I started realizing that every vacation that I thought was going to be the last one, it never will be. Well, we got the pictures and that's over. What are we doing next? We going somewhere else? See, I was, I, I'm the kind of guy that the first big vacation went on that we all had a good time was, I'd have been fine saying that's the last one. But what, there's always another one. 
right? And you got to get out of that attitude of there's always got to be more. No, once you get to Jesus and you come in his authority, you know what you realize? I'm complete. On my worst day and on my best day. My best day I've got in the right place because this is not this is not what I'm pursuing. And on my worst day, it's not, I realize I don't lose hope because at the end of it all, I still got Jesus. And I'm going to do what he says to do. He said, um, he said, so how does holiness produce joy? For one thing, there's joy of the fellowship with God. David said, this is David, he said, you will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. True joy only comes from God. I love this. When David had committed the terrible sins of adultery and murder, we've been through this, think about how he finally got it turned around on his redemption. He had lost the sense of God's joy because he lost fellowship with God. He'd kind of knocked it out of gear. He was going against the very things he'd already told us in Psalms 119. He stopped doing. You know, he, he's, now he's out there piddling around. He's not under the authority of God. And listen to this. This is how you know it happened. After he repented in his prayer, listen to what he asked God for. This is in Psalms 51, his prayer of repentance. Psalms 51, 12. Hey, you need to know Psalms 51 because it is a psalm of repentance. I mean, we got, we got to hang on to that one because we see what it looks like to repent. It's amazing to me, all these people that keep comparing themselves to David never want Psalms 51 to be the comparison. Most of the comparisons to David are men trying to say there's somehow I can do terrible things and it won't matter. By the way, that's the wrong comparison to David. Amen. You don't want the stuff that David's sin brought on him. It was awful. Okay, and he never really got it right again. Now, in eternity he did. But on earth, it never got right. It never got right. So be real careful when you start saying, well, you know, this is kind of like David. You don't want that. You don't want that. Now, you want this. The prayer of repentance, listen to what he said. After he prayed to repent, listen to what he said to God. And he asked him for this. Rejoy to me, I mean, excuse me, restore to me the joy of your salvation. So he lost his joy. So going outside of God and doing and chase, going out to the world to say, I'm in for adultery. I'm in for pleasuring myself. He says, I lost my joy. And now that I'm repenting of the sins that I've committed and the mess that I have made, will you please just restore my joy yes. of salvation? Where's my joy? And where did David say his joy would be found? With God. Yes. Mm. Look, the daily experience of Christ's love is linked to our obedience to him. It's not that his love is conditioned to our obedience. It's not that at all. That would be legalism. And I hope if you've taken away this study as being legalism, you've missed the whole thing. You've missed the whole, I hope you haven't missed it. This is not legalism, but our experience of his love is dependent to experience his love is dependent on our obedience. If you're not obedient to Christ, you don't ever really experience him. Because you're constantly in conflict with him. I love this, that uh, Dr. William Hendrickson observed that God's love both precedes and follows our obedience. This is deep. Are you all okay with this? God's love, he said, by preceding our love, creates in us the eager desire to keep Christ's precepts. Then, by following our love, it rewards us for keeping them. 
So it precedes our love, meaning God's love precedes ours. But then he creates in us this desire to keep the concepts and his commandments. And then once he gives us that desire, when we follow that, our love for him then results in a reward for us because we now have loved him. Does that make sense? Did I get that down to where all by Calhoun County guys can follow it? That are C students like me from Calhoun County. He's saying, look, he loves you. But, but until he approves of you, you don't have access to love him back. And then once, once you say, now that you've redeemed me, I now have a desire to love you. Well, then he says, well, if you love me, then you now have a desire to keep my commandments, not out of legalism, but because you truly find them to be joyful. What did Jesus say? This is not a burden to keep my commandments. Yes. Now, I am in control. I'm not removing the yoke, but the yoke is easy. Man. This is where joy is found, to be right with God. Has anybody ever lived part of your life not right with God? Was that joyful? Now, you had moments of pleasure, maybe, but it wasn't joyful. And he says, so then once you desire to obey and God creates that desire and you act on it, now your love for him results in you truly relieving, I mean, rewarded by the love back from him. Now it's you feel it. Now, now you're in the middle of it. And that produces joy. Why? He can, I mean, he can love you, but until he approves of you, you've got to be redeemed to be approved. There's a limit to how much experience you, you can't experience God till you've been redeemed. Amen. And then once you've been redeemed, now the floodgates have been opened, and then your pursuit and sanctification and obedience puts you right in the middle of it. I love him saying this when he goes on to say what? When, when you start thinking about Another part about joy, I love this. So we talked about the joy of obedience, but about this. Addition to the joy of the fellowship with the Holy God, that's one. That's what a holy life produces. I love this one. Oh, this is, this is great. The joy of the anticipated reward. Mm. The joy of what's coming. Mm. Now, I know the way men are made. That ought, to, that ought to flip a switch with somebody. Because men seem to always be wanting some sort of prize and always want some kind of where are we going, what, what's coming. Or is this going to result in a championship? Is this going to result in a win? Or is this going to result in more profit? Well, yeah. But, the kind, but we're talking about spiritual reward, spiritual profit. How about this? Thinking to what it's going to be like. To have uh, This is what I love when we did the study of Acts. When they were, when they were persecuted... No longer afraid. You know, the standard raises. Same people that ran, told a little girl, I'm not with Jesus, now are saying, you recognize we're with Jesus. We will not deny Jesus. Matter of fact, the Jesus you crucified. Now I'm calling you out. Before I was running from you, I'm scared. Now I'm not scared, but here comes the anticipated reward. When they go back after they've been told, don't talk about Jesus anymore, we will come and shut this down. They didn't go back and pray for the persecution not to come. They prayed for what? Boldness. Amen. Hey, Jesus, don't let us embarrass you when it comes because we want to hear well done. We want to persevere. We want to, we want to withstand the fire of persecution and never embarrass you, never compromise you so that now you, the author and the perfecter of our faith, for who, what? The joy was set before him, endured the cross. What, what? Joy was before Jesus on the way to the cross? Why? Yes, because the end result. He knew what this was going to do. 
And so that joy stays in front of him. Let's follow his example and set before us the joy of enduring the persecution, the joy of enduring this fallen creation, the joy of enduring whatever is before you, because we know the end result will be well done, good and faithful servant. And that's not to earn your salvation. That's to say the salvation you afforded me, 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10, you got to return on it. Your grace wasn't wasted on me. I didn't embarrass you. I wasn't a grace abuser. I had the joy set before me because I can't wait to see you. One of the things that Sherry wrote in her book, and I reference that a lot because this was one of the, we learned so much through this. She said, I started off, and she's reading the book now, and I told you how to pray about that. Pray for tomorrow. Tomorrow she has to read chapter three. So pray heavy for my wife today and tomorrow. I hope she can get through that. And chapter three is when our child is actually taken from us. So it's, if you've ever read her book, it's a, it's a very difficult chapter to get through and it'll be difficult for her. But she said, when I started off, if we were being honest, my joy that was before me was to see Bronner again. That's our son's name for those who don't know. And God, through this five years of refinement, corrected me and said, no, 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 my joy is Jesus. We love our son, and, and I, we know that that, that, that reunion is coming, but he's not the treasure in heaven. Jesus is. You know what I mean? So, so, so what we're saying is that, that we want to see him, that we've endured like he endured, not to earn our salvation, but as a result of salvation. And what I just read to you came out of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Somebody underline that. Jesus was motivated to endure, anticipating the joy of his reward. No amount of hardship and struggle could deprive him of the anticipation. And then we hear about the well done with the, uh, when he tells us about the, the talents and, and what we've been given and walking in holiness and being free from the dominion of sin. So joy is not only the results from a holy life, but there's also a sense of joy helps produce a holy life. I like this. Nehemiah, when he had all the dispirited exiles who were returning to Jerusalem, the joy of the Lord is your strength, Nehemiah told them in, ne in Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The Christian living in disobedience also lives devoid of the joy and hope. That's good. But when he begins to understand that Christ has delivered him from the reign of sin, when he begins to see that he's united to him with who all has, has all the power and authority, that, is, that, it, that he's now, it's now possible because of what Jesus provides, the strength to walk in obedience, you know what? You begin to start getting a little hope. You remember when obedience seems so hopeless to you? Well, yeah, because you're trying to do it yourself. That's legalism. But when you realize, no, no, wait a minute. So the more I've pursued Christ, the guy I just had lunch with, the more I've pursued Christ, all of a sudden this power is being given to me. And you know what? I'm starting to realize I can do it. Amen. Then you realize you correct yourself. No, he can do it. But I'm submitting to his authority. So Jesus really does give me the ability to live this holy life. He's the reason I can do it. And, I, and now you have the hope and the joy and you start realizing I'm overcoming the sin that used to so easily entangle me. I'm not so easily had anymore Amen. because of the power of Jesus. I'm not living a defeated life anymore. I find out that there's joy and a holy walk. And you know what else? Oh, this is good. And then I realize... The joy of the holy walk is so much more satisfying yes. than any pleasure of fleeting Amen. sin. Somebody say yes to that. Amen. Are y'all excited? Amen. We gotta, Are y'all ready to get out of here and go get something done? Jesus. All right, we're almost done. We're almost done. <sighs> Truly the choice is, is here. 
Okay, we got to choose to forsake sin, not only because it, it, it's, it's defeating to us, but because it grieves the heart of God. Amen. Can I leave you on that? It goes back to this again. The things that I have seen God give me victory over in my life are the things that I finally pointed to it and said, Lord, this grieves your heart, it's sin. I don't want this in my life because it grieves you. Hey, not even because, it, just like what I tell people all the time, you're not, you start teaching your children when they're young this, if you still have young children. If you want to teach them, say, sexual purity, don't tell them they're going to get a disease. Don't tell them they're going to get somebody pregnant or they're going to get pregnant. None of that works. Amen. None of it works. Tell them it grieves God's heart. Tell him it grieves God's heart. This is not his standard. This, this, this grieves God to give up your sexual purity that he says should be saved for what the writer of Hebrews says, let no one defile the marriage bed. Yes. Marriage should be held in a place of honor, and the writer of Hebrews says, by everybody. And we're going to let God's standard of marriage be blasphemed and treated as if it's no big deal. It grieves God's heart. That's one example. So we will, we will find a whole different attitude when we call sin, sin, and realize that sin grieves God's heart. And then realize this. The choice is ours on sanctification. Why? Because we've learned through this entire book that God has provided all we need for our pursuit of holiness. Amen. He's provided everything. And if we don't have it, it's not on Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for today. Thank You. Just, uh, just I feel a joy in this room. And, and Lord, I, I, I mean, I think that this, I know this has helped me in a way that I, I can't even put into words right now. Thank You, Jerry Bridges, for Your obedience. Thank you for taking a topic that has been talked about a lot, but Lord, thank you for using Jerry to be such a good communicator, to communicate it in a way that I could understand it. And Lord, I pray that we take these truths and we carry them with us. We do pray, all these men and all these people listening and watching, I pray for my wife. I love my wife. Thank you for the gift that she is to me. Thank you to the gift she's been to so many others. And I know this audio book will be difficult, but you've called her to it, which means you'll give her what she needs to get through it. Tomorrow will be difficult. And I pray that you give her the strength that she needs. And then you use this to break the hearts of those that are dying and going to hell and to answer the question that you've already answered, where you are in the middle of struggles and pain and agony and tragedy. You are better than this world. And we anticipate hearing well done, good and faithful servant from you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And may our faith not just be something we say, but something you see. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Gospel of John starts next week. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies, or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.